Lord Jesus, um, what would we do without you? There is no one like you. And we are thankful, Lord, that we're here tonight to be able to open your word together. And Lord, we are expecting that you will meet us as you met us just now with worship. And that this entire night, Lord Jesus, would be yours. That you would speak into our ears, speak into our hearts, reveal things to us that we know not of. And um, Lord, we just want you to know that you're welcomed here. You're the most honored guest. So glorify your name um, now and throughout the rest of the evening. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so that's the Hebrew alphabet. I'm sure you all recognize it. And it's very key to um, our psalm that we've been studying, as you well know. It's Psalm 119, in case you're new. And tonight we're doing 119, verses 41 to 48. Um, that's the alphabet. Like, we have the alphabet, they have the alphabet. The alphabet has 22 letters. It also has a bunch of vowels, but it only really goes with the 22 letters. And that's exactly what this whole psalm is. There's a letter for every eight verses. And as we've been learning, that's called an acrostic. It starts, each one of these verses will start with a word that is that letter. For example, alphabet, as we um, had our first time, and we found out that all the, of course they didn't in English, but if it was in Hebrew, you would know that it was the Aleph that began each one of the eight verses. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's got two names. It's either sometimes the W sound, and sometimes it's the V sound. If it's the W sound, it's classical Hebrew. If it's the V sound, it's everyday Hebrew. So I'll probably be doing the V. <laughs> okay, I want to tell you a little story about the alphabet. Whoops, can you go back? I'm sorry, Matt. This, okay, so alf, the alphabet is different from our regular alphabet. We read from left to right. They read from right to left, and, uh, which is sort of hard to get used to if you ever have to live over in Israel. Anyway, um, I don't know, like maybe 30 years ago or more, I took a Hebrew class at Gratz College, and I learned the alphabet. And then um, probably 10 years after that, I had, to, um, I had to go to an ophthalmologist, a new ophthalmologist. So I went to the, the office, they stuck me in a room, and I had to wait there for a while. But as I'm looking around, the ophthalmologist had the alphabet on the wall. So I thought, oh, good, let's see if I remember any of these letters. So I was doing it over my head, over my head, until uh, the, uh, the ophthalmologist came in the room. And when he came in, he, of course, greeted me, and he immediately, as you all know, because I'm sure you've all had your eyes checked, you have uh, big letters across of the alphabet, and then it gets smaller and smaller, and that tells you basically how, how bad your eyesight is. So anyway... He asked me to start reading it. So I started reading, and I read the first line, and then he put it down, and then I read the second line, and then he turned off the light. So I'm thinking, uh-oh, are my eyes that bad? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, do you always read from right to left? <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> that was another uh-oh. Um, and I said to him, 
No, I really don't. I think he really thought he had a real problem, and, and he was discovering this. And I said, no, but I said, while I was waiting, you've got the alphabet on your wall. And I took it one time, and I was trying to see if I figured out any of those letters or remembered them. He was relieved, and we continued with, and I ended up with glasses, new glasses. Uh, but that's, that's my story for the alphabet. And um, why should I tell this story? We sometimes read like... We sometimes read our life, especially our own, backwards, like I did in the doctor's office. We don't understand God's ways. They often don't make sense to us, such as his timing, the whys of what he does, and how he moves, and what he thinks is important. This Psalm 119 is so amazing because it acknowledges this as it's demonstrated on how the psalmist continually is asking such things as this. Teach me your statues. Open my eyes. Revive me. Make me understand. Straighten me. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me. Give me understanding. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. These are just a few of the, psalm, of the psalmist's requests that God would basically untwist him to see through God's lens an acknowledgement that we, more often than not, left to our own, do not know how to see or do life. So we do it backwards. I'm sure most of you can understand that. And, um, and as we move in life more and more in Christ, we realize we really don't know the way he moves. And yet he's there waiting for us to ask. And that's what this psalm is so much about. It's like a giant prayer that we should ask him for all of this stuff that we might be able to see life the way he sees it through his lens. So um, the next slide, now this brings us up to our section. That happens to be the wa or the vav. It looks like a hook. And actually when I looked at it, it looks sort of like a crochet hook, doesn't it? <laughs> For those of you that have crocheted. Okay, so um, unfortunately, for this little fella, very few words begin with the vav sound. As a matter of fact, it was probably a great challenge for the psalmist to be able to get the eight verses starting with the letter vav or wa. So one of the, the words that it begins with is the word and. And is a conjunction. It joins, it's a connector word. So to keep true to the acrostic pattern of this psalm, verses 41 to 48, in the original language of Hebrew, generally begins with and. It's connected, but not sort of in the way that we might use the and in the middle of a sentence. Also, as we have learned, the letters all have numerical value, and the wa has its value of six. It's the sixth letter, so it has the value of six. Adam was created on the sixth day, so the number six is generally considered to be the number for man, and I guess women too. The letter wa, or va, as we look at it up there on the screen, 
as I said, it looks like a hook or crochet hook. But it was originally thought of as being more of a tent peg, excuse me, a tent peg that go, would go into the curtains for um, the tabernacle. So it has, it has quite a history. Perhaps this is why the wuh in these eight verses begins with the important word and, which connects words, sentences, and concepts. And so the verses in this section we are looking at tonight are very connected, building upon a foundation set in verses 41 and 43, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight. Okay, so um, what I'd like you to do is... If you have the new King James, ver or actually it's the King James Version, can we read together? It's like really good to read the scripture together. If not, if you girls have, you, you all got this, on page 118, uh, down in the middle, we have verses 41 to 48, and we can read it aloud. That means I'm not going to be the only one reading up here. So I'll give you a few minutes, or a few seconds actually. Okay, everybody ready? We're all going to read. And if, you, if your neighbor has, the, has them next to me, you can share. All right. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to the wor thy word. So shall I have wherewithin to answer him that reproacheth me. So I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in, the judge, in, my, in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statues. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Okay, I want to first go to verse 41. In the first part, there's like an A part, not a B part. So the first part says, let thy mercies Come unto me. <clears throat> some, you know, some other translations will use the different words which this means. May your mercies come to me, O Lord. The Hebrew word for mercies is hased. Matt, could you put up hased? There's hased. Okay, and look at all the words that it, it means. Yeah, it's used like 250 times in the Old Testament, and they're the most lovely words you can read, and they happen to be the character of our God. Mercy, love, kindness, and then even more than that, loving kindness, grace, faithfulness, compassion, covenant love. The psalmist is asking that that would come to him, and if the psalmist can do that, we can do that, that we might have the character and love and the heart of our God. And those are the words that I know that makes you all melt. Those are the words that make you know that you can 
go to him with anything, that you are not going to be chided, you're not going to be put away, you're not going to be refused. You go to him because he's that kind of a God. You know, we're at his mercy. We're made. We're made by God. We could have any kind of God. But instead we have this God that has the heart of the songs that we sang about and has the heart to say, come, come to me. All of you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. So that's, that's hased. So remember that word. It's a really important word. This um, is God's heart. We people are the objects of this love, mercies, and compassion. Here are just a few examples where hased is used to describe God's heart. And I'm going to read from Exodus. You, you don't have to go there unless you want to. Exodus 34, 6, where God is disclosing who he is and what he's like. And it says, And the Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, not just the Lord, but he wants to make sure it's the Lord God, has said, is merciful, compassionate, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. That is throughout the whole Old Testament. A lot of times people say, oh, that's where God's so angry in the Old Testament and he does all these mean kind of things. It's not true. When he reveals himself, continually he reveals himself with this kind of heart. Um, Psalm 86.5 is another one. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy, has said, for all those who call upon your name, abundant. It's a big word. It means a lot. And then Psalm 103, 8 to 14. I'm only going to read these. There's, you can look it up. There's multiple, 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 250 in the Old Testament. All right, so it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, a lot of us know this part, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He loves us. He loves each one of you. He died for you. And he wants a relationship with you. That's why he died. He died to forgive our sins and restore us back to the Father. And that we may walk in a new garden with him. This is his heart. Okay, so the other part of this uh, verse 41 has this, where it talks about salvation. The second part, we have, we're told that God's salvation also comes to us so we can ask for his said, for his loving kindness, for his mercies. We can also ask for salvation. Now, um, we don't manufacture the hased, and we don't manufacture salvation. It comes to us from the heart of God. The understanding of salvation here in this particular psalm, at this time in Israel's history, refers to God's deliverance, his help, his safety, 
his rescue, his protection, all of those things they knew it. And, and you know, as you read through the Old Testament, um, David, all of them are always asking for that protection, that security that goes with them. And that's what the salvation understanding was. But this is really cool. But hidden in that word salvation is the Hebrew word Yeshua, which many of you know is the Hebrew word for Jesus. So right here in this psalm, and and they do say that throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of what is done in the New Testament. It speaks of Jesus. Hidden right here, we ask for salvation, and that salvation is Yeshua, which is Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. And these verses invite us to continually ask our God for this hased, which is God's mercy, love, kindness, loving kindness, compassion. I'm going to say it enough times that you'll have it memorized. Grace, and that we might grow and grow in it and find great security in it, as well as learn to deal with others with the same heart of God. And that is the goal, and our songs really spoke about that tonight. And we are told that salvation also comes to us, which is God himself. So when you're asking for that, you're asking for his heart. When you follow this 40, verse 41, you're asking for the heart of God, which is Hasid, And you're asking for God himself, which is salvation. Um, so, and now we're going to go on to 42. 42 says, so shall I have an answer for him that reproaches me, for I trust in him. So foundational to 42 is what God does in our hearts as he shares his heart with us, as, he, as is described in verse 41. It's ingenious of God to first invite us into his mercies and loving kindness, that that's what we should learn first about him, because that's who he is. He lays this foundation of hesed because he loves us, has mercy on us. He's tender toward us. Understanding each of us and our plight down here on this side of eternity. He understands what you're going through. Doesn't, he's, he's not up there thinking, oh, I can't take, there, there are so many of them and I can't do it. No. Um, and you don't have to be disturbed in any way saying he's too busy, I can't go to him. He's never too busy. He's also God, and do you think God can take care of all of us at once at the same time and know everything about us? I think that's sort of a no-brainer. He can. So all of us can go to him with everything all along. Okay, so um, he is tender towards you. Just remember that. Plus, as we secure... In, as we are secure in his salvation, and there is such a measure of security because not only does he save us, he promises us he'll never leave us or forsake us. I mean, you, that's security, that he will never leave us or forsake us. You're always his when you're a good girl and when you're not such a good girl. It doesn't matter. He's your father. And he's the perfect father, not like some fathers. Okay, so um, one of the things in this verse is that we might have something to say to those who reproach us. And let's face it, the world will never rejoice 
over those that follow after the way of God as the people of God in the Old Testament and as followers of Jesus in the New Testament, of course, up to us now. Taunts, reproach, condescension, ridicule will always follow the people whose God is the one true God, Jesus. Verse 42 tells us that, but because of the foundation of knowing first God's character, his has said, and most of all knowing God himself, which is salvation, we can have an answer that will not entail an argument or pride, but knowing his heart towards us and in turn towards all of mankind, we can have a merciful, gracious answer, yet always true as we trust in his word. We'll look into true in a little bit because that's just as important as his mercy. Here's an example. Okay, so I was thinking um, somebody reproaches you and belittles you and you know, how could you be so stupid to believe that fairy tale? And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thinking out, out there. But remember, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we have to remember that the people of the world are just doing what they can do. They don't have light yet. We once were like that. I'm sure all of you are. I know I have a story, and I better not look at people of the world and think that I'm better than them. They're God's heart. He wants them saved. And just like we saw Sandy saying, it's time to share it. It's time to share it. Share the love of Christ to people. So um, the example I was thinking of was, okay, so, so that somebody with the re, they're reproaching you, they're making fun of you. So if you hide God's word in your heart, that's the thing, is we, gotta, we have to read, read, read the word of God, that it gets into us, that it's in the fabric of us, so that when something happens or anything, that we can turn and give what we have learned from God. And what God says, and this has hit me a lot of times, because there's a lot of times you, you really want to give back to people what they give to you. And, um, and I'm sure you know that, right? I'm not the only one that, that would like to give it back. But God always shows me, no. Mm -mm. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up uh, anger, and that's Proverbs 15.1. So you have that in your heart. It's like, ooh, I can't do that. I must walk in the spirit. I must do what I've learned from him. And that's what you, who you've learned it from. As you read the word, you've learned it from him. All right, so now we move to verse 43. Verse 43 is crocheted, remember the crochet hook, I don't think it's anywhere, but we'll think of it always as a crochet hook, okay? The crochet hook, together with the crochet hook vav to 41. So 43 and 41 are really um, crocheted, knitted together. In 41, the psalmist asks God for his mercies and salvation. And here in 43, the psalmist asks God that he would never take the word of truth from his mouth. So it's another request to God. Don't take the word of truth from me. 
when I know truth, may it stay with me and may it grow. So here we have that request for the most foundational revelation of the character of God, mercy and truth, okay? Mercy and truth. Mercy is the heart of God, but truth is who he is. John 14, 6 says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That verse I got saved on. That's a really special verse. Um, that truth. I had a lot of truths. I believed in a very wise thing. What's true for you? Go with it. And it was very hard when I read that. I remember reading it and, and thinking, he's the truth and he's the way. And there's no, you can't get to the Father except that way. You mean all roads don't lead to God? They don't. It's only Jesus. Because he's the exact replica. He's the exact picture of who God is when he walked on the earth. So I, um, I prayed that and I had a bow to that. Changed my life. Now I'll die for it if I have to, by his grace. Okay, so now we're talking about mercy and truth. Oh, good. Thanks, Matt. Okay, so here we have some really good verses on mercy and truth. Those are just a few. There's a whole bunch of them. You can look it up. And um, they're very much together in Scripture. I'm going to read them because it's good to hear the Word of God. Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalm 8510, is that 2510, 8510? Maybe it'll stick in your head. Hasn't really stuck in mine, but <laughs> it may. Okay, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Psalm 138.2, I will worship toward your holy temple. Praise your name for your loving kindness, which is mercy, and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. And then Proverbs 3, 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Mercy and truth are two sides of a coin, and it's a really important coin. It's the most valuable coin because it speaks of who our God is. And it's a good way to remember his character is not just mercy, but it's truth. He can't lie. He cannot lie. He can do everything else. Well, he doesn't do everything else. He doesn't do evil and all that. But he will never, ever lie. Truth is his. Um, so we have requested the most foundational revelation of the character of God, mercy and truth. And as I said before, mercy is God's heart and truth is who he is. He is this truth and his word teaches us what's truth. It's real. That, that's what, this is a special book. And we, we say that all the time. And of course, you know that. That's why we come together and study it. And it is, it's truth. And that's where we're going to get truth. So we want to really get it into our hearts. And you do it by reading. And you know, if you're not a reader, you can listen on, um, on your phone. And you can listen uh, actually, they even have YouTubes where the, you can go to sleep with somebody reading you. I do this, reading you scripture. And then it's, you know, I figure it must be getting in there somehow even more, and I'm not wasting these hours that I'm sleeping. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, that's okay. That that is our last slide, and um, I want to move on now. Now we're going to look at verses forty-four to forty-six. The foundation has been laid. We invited and asked God's loving heart to come to us and his salvation to embrace us. The word of truth to be readily on our lips. That's what we want. We don't want it to be taken from us. We want it readily on our lips. We don't want the world to take it, not um, anybody to take the word from us. So we pray that Lord protect it. And basically, be that which propels us. That's what we want the word of God to do. From this, we have a number of I will or I shall responses. So now these verses 44 to 46 are that. They're the I will and I, and I shall responses. Um, they come from a full heart filled with said, the heart of God and the truth of God himself. And so the psalmist is moved to say, 44, I will keep your law forever. Now, when we are so touched by God's goodness and love and faithfulness, we want to obey him. So therefore, we really want to grow in this love for him, this wanting him. And, and how do we grow in it? Again, we ask God. We ask God for everything. He wants us to lean on us, lean on him for every single need. Because when you think about it, uh, nobody's plugging you into the wall to, for like, a, like a, an electric car. <laughs> we move because God gives us movement. He's the one that makes the blood run through our bodies. We don't even do that. You're not sitting there remind, oh, you better be moving through my body. No, all of this, there's so much that we take for granted in just this, let alone all of that out there. And so we, um, we really want to say, I will keep your law. But you know what? We can't do it on our own. We'd love to be able to, and, and, and a lot of times I know is a, as a younger Christian, I would read, this, read the things that I'm supposed to do that delight God's heart, and I would try my best. And I, a lot of times, would fall flat on my face to love perhaps people that I found difficult to, to do whatever he chose me to do, to speak to somebody that I was too concerned about what others thought. All of those things get in our way. The only way we can walk with Jesus Christ, is to allow his Holy Spirit, that's why he left us his Holy Spirit, to live in us so that we can do that which he asks us to do. Try to do it on your own, you will fall flat on your face or you will be exhausted or people will um, be able to see right through it. So we want it to be the work of God. And the work of God is always executed, not by our might and our power but by him so we ask him lord i i want to keep this law of yours i love you increase my love for you increase it be with me live your life through me so that happens but you have to look at it this way too it's really it's a response that this this psalmist is having and um it's an exchange he wants to obey god and then the next one it's that one was i will keep your law this is I shall walk. I shall walk in a wide place or walk at liberty. 
Why? Because the psalmist tells us he seeks God's precepts, which is basically God's way of doing things. Walk in his ways. Sounds like what Jesus continually said to his disciples when he would say to them, follow me. That's what it's all about. Follow me. Do walk behind him. Do what he wants. Do the things of the kingdom of God. It's a very different kingdom than the one out there. So follow him. That's how he wants us to walk, and that's how we want to walk. And if you don't want to walk like that, he's not going to kick you out of the kingdom. But you can ask him, Lord, put more of a desire for you in my heart so that I will want to walk and follow you. And then the next one is, so we have one of the keeping the law, one of the walking, and now I will speak of your testimonies. Who God is and what is his will and way are basically those testimonies. Doesn't matter who you speak to. You can speak to kings and really powerful people or to people in great need that are broken. We want to be able to speak to all and have nothing get in the way of us speaking. And there's things that do get in the way of us speaking. Um, the fear of man, the not wanting to get involved in it, um, just so many things. Where he wants us to abide in him like Joe has been teaching on Sundays. There's a whole thing about that. And, and abiding is just being next to his heart and doing like what, and this is a tall order, but that's, that's what we're learning as we walk. This is not, you know, you get saved and that's the end of it and you've got everything going for you. You don't. It's the kind of thing where you, you are like Jesus, where he said, I don't do anything the Father, I do everything the Father tells me to do, and I say everything the Father tells me to do. That's, that's God. That's amazing. That's Jesus in the human form. And he's able to say that. And he's saying the same thing. Can you do that? And the only way we can is if we allow ourselves to walk close to him. And it becomes everything to us. So, um, so I will speak. And so it's a, I will keep, I will walk, and I will speak. We may be so moved as the psalmist, filled with hesed of God and his truth. And like the psalmist, we can be filled with God and his presence that we get all motivated to follow hard after him. Again, this is, I'm going to say it again. This is good, but done in our strength. It only becomes our works. What we read in verses 44 to 46 requires the filling of the Holy Spirit, the abiding in Jesus and asking him, work through me, so that it is his work, just like salvation was his work. We didn't get saved on our own. It was his mercy and grace and his wooing us and his taking the blinders off our eyes. His work, his work, his work. And um, so, so we pray. Fill me, Lord. Live your life through me. And then finally, we go to verses 47 and 48. Let me read those to you. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto the commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate on these, thy statutes. 
So out of all of this, afterwards, what comes up? The psalmist responds to this filling of God's mercy and truth, and he expresses his great love for God, for his ways, for his commandments, which is the word. And he lifts his hands in praise, which is a natural outflow of this love salvation and truth that God has poured out to us. It is nothing that we can manufacture. It is God-given. So again, ask him to fill you and fill your heart with himself. Um, And it will have an outflow of praise. As corporately, nothing like it. Nothing like singing with the saints. And also at home. You can sing on your own even if you have a horrible voice. I do it all the time. So um, that was, those are our verses, and I, now I want to tell a little story. Um, it's, somebody sent me uh, a teaching from a pastor up in New York this morning, and I was really moved by it. Uh, the man was talking about how he had studied revivals. You know, revivals are reviving us. Basically, it's resuscitating the saints, and it's pulling in those from... Um, from the world into the kingdom. That's what revival is all about. And there's been many, many revivals through the history of the church. There's, so this man was talking about how he had studied many of them. He said he was wondering, what's the ingredients that makes for revival? And um, he said, he brought out, okay, so the Calvinists have a very high view of God, and they have been used through the centuries at times for revival. And so if the high church Anglicans, they've been used by it. And uh, the Pentecostals and the Charismatic, I came in with them. And so there's all sorts of arms of the church where the body of Christ is, and, but there's no particular ingredients. It's not all the Calvinists got the revivals or all the Pentecostals did. No. And what he was saying, he said, one thing he learned is God is God, and he will do what he wants to do, and he has every right to. But he said there's one thing that he found that was across the board in these different revivals that have happened, and that is wanting God. The people really wanted God. Their hearts were open to God. They wanted him, and he comes where he's wanted I thought, wow, that's pretty profound. And then I thought back on the revival that I came in on, and probably a lot of you saw the Jesus Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was a mighty revival. And for my, you know, Kathy and Joe were on the West Coast, and I was here at the same time as they were getting saved, here in this whole Philadelphia area. And what was happening on the West Coast with young young people, the hippies, and I was one of them, um, that it was happening all over. Actually, it was happening all over the world. The Holy Spirit was moving greatly. And he was mostly using these Pentecostal charismatic churches. And just, and that's what, like I said, I went into. But now it was a very formal church. I remember going to this church um, I had prayed that I would be able to find a church where there were people that knew this thing that I had heard for the first time, this thing about Jesus. And God answered it in a really um, remarkable way. And I went down to this church downtown. And I walked in, 
and there were a whole bunch of hippies, okay? And, um, but the most of the church was made up of older senior citizens. The little old ladies with the little pillbox hats and the white gloves and the suit on and looked very proper. The men were all in suits. They had an organ and a piano, and that was it. They loved us. They had the doors open to us. Now, that didn't happen at every church because I went to a couple of other ones. There were some that you knew you were not welcomed because you were those dirty hippies. And I can never understand that because I was never dirty. I might have been a hippie, but I wasn't dirty. But that's besides the point. So that is, when I think of that, I think, I'll let God be God. And may he fall with his power of his Holy Spirit because we do need revival. We need revival in our hearts. We need people out there that, I mean, I know when we came in, the world, the, basically the world thought we were really ruining the society. We probably were, but they didn't shun us and put us away. They loved us, and I know that that's the case with Chuck Smith. God gave him a love for those hippies, and they came in in groves. And, and that is actually what, for the last 50 years, is what populated the church. And then kids are born from all these people. It was spawned with that revival. So um, if this man is right, and I sort of think he is, I think he's on to something. May our hearts long for Jesus. Not just to have him come back, but just long for him. That relationship with him to get as close as we can. That's the best thing we can do for anything, for any age, but certainly for this age, because he may come back soon, but we may go through a lot in between. We don't know. And the one thing that we need is to be close to Jesus. So we ask him. The psalm is telling us that. It's giving us total permission. Ask him for everything. Talk everything over with him. And ask him to change your heart and give us a heart that loves him and wants him. And I think that's all I have to say tonight. I'm done a little soon. <laughs> but you know what say, I was thinking? Um, I think maybe at your tables, take a few minutes to pray together and ask God for this, for this heart of love and devotion for him, that you really want him even if you don't feel like it, okay? It's not about even, it's not about feelings. It's about truth and mercy. And he has his ways of changing our feelings and changing how we think and how we view things. So don't hold back. Can you do that? Okay, that's good. Thank you.